Blog Talk Radio. Jonathan Xavier. Inasmuch as you insist on being an outsider and laughing at the rules and traditions of our advanced civilization, I am exiling you to a place which has no adherence to either. I have no choice but to sentence you to earth. Eight years ago. 
So this is coming full circle and kind of fucking neat. Uh, so I can't wait to talk to him. But first, let me introduce my sexy witches. Starting in the Los Angeles area, two of my sexy witch co-hosts are there. One is the Enchantress of Nevermore. Please welcome to the show, Raven Jasper Hawk. How you doing? Welcome on with the sexy witches. What's up, witches? What's up? And by the way, you brought this guest. So I'm so oh. happy. Thank you for bringing him on the show. This is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm living in a dream. I just thought I'd try it. Like, hey, buddy, what if you what if you came on this podcast? And he's like, okay. <laughs> he he fanfarling wow. like a okay. motherfucker, man. I'm so happy for you. So let me come back to you in just a minute because we have a few more people on the line. Please welcome my cousin. My partner in crime at media conventions, my Star Wars nerd extraordinaire. Please welcome <laughs> the or- warlock of Orange County, Eric Cogan. Hello, you're on with the Sexy Witches. Hello there. Hello there. That, you know what I mean? that, that was you're my gonna... lame-ass Ewan McGregor attempt. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> we we yeah. will have to talk about Ewan McGregor tonight for sure on the yeah. first hour. Um, <laughs> if we have much to discuss about Star Wars. Um, and also, in the Atlanta area, my voice of violence. We'll, we'll talk a little pro wrestling tonight, even tonight. Uh, my son of Celluloid, the dirty sor- southern sorcerer himself. Please welcome to the show. Nathan Hamilton. Hello, sir. You're on with the second Hello, ladies, gentlemen, everything in between. I'm glad to be here. Let's get geeky. Let's guess. <laughs> Let's get geeky. Um, you know, so uh, we have an hour to kill before our guests, so we're going to talk about some of the things we've done and watched because there is so much. This is such a nerdy summer. We talked about it last episode, how much stuff has dropped, like this week, Umbrella Academy dropped for people who care about that. Yeah. Um, there is so much nerdy stuff happening, and it is a beautiful time to be a geek. I mean, not only that, in August, we're getting a Game of Thrones spinoff and Lord of the Rings. What the fuck, guys? This is like a right? living in a nerd <laughs> renaissance. Uh, so, uh, but first, we have some business to take care of, Sexy Witches, because back in our Madness show, our theme announcement, we had the wonderful indie, res- indie wrestler, <laughs> indie director, Bobby Easley. and um, You're hanging around talking, me too long. Yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> talking about his first, like, I mean, he's done feature films before, but he actually had uh, Brian Usna produce his movie Dream House, which was the H.P. Lovecraft version of Dreams of the Witch House. And right. um, it actually is dropping next week on streaming platforms for everyone to see. And he gave us a screener, thank you, Bobby, to watch his show. Yes. So, who go first? I'm not going first. I'm scared. I'll go. Okay, cool. I'll get it out of the way, and then I can't <clears throat> get blamed on copying anyone. So... <laughs> First of all, I watch everything with captions. 
And I like judging movies on the first three captions that happened. The first three huh. captions of Witch House were squelching, followed by nice. another squelching, followed <laughs> by ominous orchestral music. And I really think that sets the tone <laughs> for what you're about to get into. The music is actually, the scoring is actually really good. Uh, like mm. the credit music, like those are bitching credits, right? Um, yeah. In general, uh, Lovecraft adaptations can come off as rather dry, but I don't, I don't think this one did. I thought there was some new life. It's not a lot of times, like I've been to the Lovecraft Festival a few times and it's like, Okay, how many times are we going to remake Dagon? Um, it's it's right. a lot of the same stuff, and um, I don't. It didn't feel stale, and I really liked the music, and I really liked um, the color lighting palette that he used. A lot of stuff looked like almost night vision goggles, but it wasn't. It was more ethereal than that. It was pretty cool. Um. When Nathan was watching it, he recognized a couple of people that had actually been on his panels at Days of the Dead. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, the uh, that tends to happen with the independent horror films. I knew, yeah. I knew, the, I know the lead actress, and there's some other people that popped up in it, and uh, who uh, we'll, we'll go with Portia. She's kind of credited as one on her IMDb and one in the credits, but Michelle or Portia, whatever, gave a really good performance as the lead. Like I was, I was very impressed yeah. with hers. And I've said before when I have reviewed uh, Bobby's movies that his strong point is atmosphere. Always has been. He knows how to set a mood and carry it through a movie. And that was exactly what the number one thing that struck me about this movie was, was just the atmosphere he was able to create and the tension he was able to maintain. Yeah, it was really uncomfortable in spots, too. He was really good yeah. at, at creating, like, this awkward... Uh, oh, my favorite interaction is the character who who's immediately, his first line is like, have you found the Lord? <laughs> have you found Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And she's just like, I need to get something out of my car, which is how I feel like when anyone asks me that, too. Uh, <laughs> just nice and awkward. Um, I actually found it interesting that um, even though this is a direct adaptation and pretty relatively faithful, I would say, in spirit to uh, the source material of Dreams of the Witch House, that it was, first of all, a female lead. Um, and yeah. also there, there's a little bit more sex than most Lovecraft movies have. So yeah. uh, we even mm-hmm. had, de- I mean, we had demon sex in this movie, spoiler alert. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's always a positive um. <laughs> Demon sex, always a positive. Right? right. <laughs> that could be the blurb. That's a t shirt so, right there. So, yeah. Yeah. so, I mean, there's always a slight element of body horror in Lovecraft, especially when there's tentacles involved, but this one in particular had a lot of body horror in it. Yeah. Um, I'm let, actually looking forward to watching it again during the madness. Because uh, there's some ATB, I think, going to be happening. 
Oh, yeah. Actually, there mm-hmm. were absolutely sexy witches in that one. Uh, and, um, yeah. yeah, and I probably will Dark give elder a, spe- a special for it. So an elder god. Well, uh, he wasn't really an elder god. He was a straight-up good old-fashioned devil demon. Uh, okay, but you know, fair. But, but uh, you know, still, you know. You know, that was one of the things that we were complaining about. You know, there's a couple of rules. And we don't mean this negatively, but like when we were playing, we were watching it. There's a couple of rules he just don't do. If you're ever forced to move up into an attic, a don't open the goddamn book. He does that immediately, and then, and then reads like, from it. And then reads from yeah. it. And then she draws chalk pentacles on the ground. You know that's never going to lead to anything good. Never. <laughs> Like, you know, that you want to raise elder demons, that's how you raise elder demons. Uh, the only uh, criticism <laughs> I want to give Bobby's movie is I wish they lit the demon himself a little bit better. There's a really good makeup job on that guy. Like, there was some really nice masks and makeup all through this movie. Very and much so. And he was the only one that was really shadowed up, and he really didn't get a good look at him until the credits. And and I kind of wish I could have had more time with the devil monster himself and looked at him a little closely, more closely. But other than that, I, you know, I'm so happy for Bobby that he has, like, this movie out there and people are going to see it. And, you know, I, oh, yeah. I always root him on in anything he does. He's a sweetie. He was one of the first people I met at Days of the Dead myself. Him and So Long, who is the rat guy in the movie. I um I knew that guy. Uh, I like how they so, do, I like how they do that character. Yeah, the rat guy was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the way they make uh, the switch back and forth like just seemingly at random, that's really good use of that character. So, uh, you know, so hooray to Bobby, and Bobby, we love you, and please come back on the show whenever, and we will make sure during the madness that we're going to give a special for your film and force a bunch of motherfuckers to watch it. So, uh, yes. so, so that'll be awesome. Um, anything else we want to say about Bobby's movie before we talk of more pop culture? Because we got a lot of pop culture to talk about. Can you remind us where it will be available? Have we told, actually, has he told us yet? I, I, I am not exactly sure. Um, to be honest with you, I don't Bobby, know. Bobby, we need Bobby, the info. if you're listening, what, <laughs> what, what platforms? What platforms? Maybe let me let me ask him real quick and see if he's online. He might be listening. Oh, nice. oh my God, they're fucking awesome. up my review. Um, How are we supposed to plug your shit if we don't know where it is? Uh, Bobby, what platforms? I think one of them was Amazon Prime, but I could be wrong. Uh, you know what? I've got an app for that. Oh. Hey, Bobby, what platforms is your film on? Okay. So I wrote that. And I can go to Witch Houses. Uh-huh. There's also, he has a Witch, there is a Witch House, um, Witch House uh, app. I mean, right. uh, earlier page. And I believe, I'm not sure, but um, there was supposed to be a drive-in screening at the Phipps Drive-In in Indianapolis, but I'm not sure that's actually happening now um, because they didn't have time to put the whole movie in. So I'm not sure. But it hmm. is playing for sure at Gen Con this year, um, and it's going to play at the Days of the Dead in Indianapolis in July. So you, you'll be able to see it at those at those. Uh, festivals for sure um so uh but yeah i think the fifth one unfortunately i think was canceled um 
Let's see. I'm trying to see. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. So please, if you want more information, go to H.P. Lovecraft's Witch House uh, Facebook page. He's been posting a lot, talking about his movie, and other people have been reviewing his film as well. Um, there's a uh, there's a sexy witches podcast called Witch War Podcast, which I might have to talk to these people on YouTube, and they reviewed his film. So I definitely want to talk to him. Like that. Let's see. Add to watch list. Let's see. Yeah, here. Do, 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 do. Um, in the Horror Witch House, inspired like Lovecraft. Links in bio. Let's see. Okay. Um, it's gonna. Okay, these are all reviews. The festival so, is incredibly fun. Yeah. Well, Gen Con is the biggest gaming festival in the world, so um, that you'll have a pretty large audience for that. Um, there. So that's always a good thing. And of course, Days in Bed in Indianapolis is. You know his go-to uh, uh, horror convention because he is from that Days area. Days of the Dead, so. July twenty-second through twenty-fourth. Gen mm-hmm. Con, August fourth through seven. Yep. Uh, blah blah blah. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. I actually don't know what. I keep scrolling through to see if I can see what platforms. There's a fuck ton of podcasts out there though. So listen to Bobby talk about his movie. We're all reviewing it. So congratulations, Bobby. Yeah. We love you. Uh, so. Moving on, but um, today I made Nathan get up early and watch the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, So, and I know that Mr. Aaron has probably already watched it as well. What? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, (laughs) gentlemen, even though this is my Sexy Witch podcast, I'm going to give you the floor to nerd it up we are going to give spoilers so massive spoiler alert especially if you're into the eu or the clone wars or any of that kind of stuff and how we're going this is going to be a spoilerific few minutes but the floor is yours gentlemen obi-wan the shit out of our show Groovy. You, you want to jump in first, or should I? Uh... Obi-Wan. I like that Obi-Wan is used as a verb. That was, that was cool. Um, <laughs> you go right ahead, my friend. Well, um, where to begin? Um, there are people saying that this is flat out the best Star Wars prequel material that we've been given. Uh, it's kind of hard to argue with that. Deborah Chow, the director is amazeballs. Uh, I would like to join the chorus saying, please give Deborah Chow more Star Wars. She knocked it out of the park uh, on Mandalorian. She knocked it out of the park here. Um, I guess to go back to basics, we should talk about Obi-Wan himself. He was rated the single most popular Star Wars character uh, with half a million votes. On Rotten Tomatoes. So, yeah, uh, you could say he's got a fandom. You know, Obi's got a, a posse. Um, as far as the series itself goes, uh, I, I'm biased. I was the first, one of the first guys to see it at Star Wars Celebration. They did the premiere live with the cast, which was kind of amazing. Um, from John Williams' purportedly last main theme score for Star Wars, to uh, the fucking ending, which, you know, again, spoilers, uh, there's another Jedi that comes back, you know, it's a ghost Jedi, and the thing, I guess, if I had to encapsulate what I love the most out of all this 
is what fan service there was wasn't forced even once, no pun intended. Uh, I loved the performances out of everybody. I loved Flea's little thing in there. Um, I, I was a little dubious about uh, Kamal in there, but you know what? He was great too, and everything. Um, it, it it wasn't a laugh riot. It was a, a little darker, a little more somber, a little more beaten down. Obi Wan, no, just Ben, please. Um, but it really has some wonderful peaks and valleys and overall just a great series that I am going to enjoy watching again and probably again. Yeah, one thing I found interesting was back when um, Boba Fett came out, a lot of people were calling it, that were making it like out to be a Star Wars Western. Mm. This was every bit a Star Wars Western. Like, Obi-Wan was Shane in this series, like 100%. <laughs> this gunslinger who had hung up his lightsaber, but he had to come back for one last favor for someone he loved. It, it's it's a perfect Western. It's a perfect outer space Western. It, the, I, I told a, a good encapsulated story. Like, it, yeah, it might be the best uh, prequel footage we've gotten so far. Um there were two. There are two fight scenes I think that give the whole story of this whole thing. And yes, here we go into to spoiler mode, but <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not going to do it too bad. There is one between two Sith. I'll say that one of them is Darth Vader, and yeah. <laughs> the way he uses the Force in a lightsaber duel in ways we haven't seen before is so badass. Like that that fight scene might be yeah. my favorite lightsaber duel since the, the original trilogy. But then in the finale, wow. you have a Jedi rock fight. Yeah, that was that was a little little bit silly for me. Really? Yeah, the rock fight. I was just um, okay. Throw a rock at him here or there, but the full on uh. rock fight, I didn't dig. But oh come on, Empire was all about throwing crap at Luke. Well, that's true. Very true. <laughs> no, but it's not. I, you know, I, more I'll, figuratively, I, just, literally, though. Yeah, but, I, I let me give an alternative thing, and and then I'll let you jump on your jam. But when I saw all those <laughs> rocks behind Obi Wan, I, I just I I knew wow that's going to be an iconic shot. For people from now on, I'm going to see that screen captured and everywhere. And next Star Wars celebration, I'm going to see paintings of that because it it was awesome and chilling. <laughs> and now I'll let you do your alternative viewpoint. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the way the way I feel, uh, there were really only two things that kind of made me eh, in the finale. It was that, and there was one moment. Let me ask you that. Was there a moment that really kind of smacked a little too much of something that happened on Clone Wars? Hmm. Almost the exact I, same shot, even. Um, there were a couple lines of dialogue and uh, po- poses that yeah, there was, you know, reminded was, me things, but I couldn't. No, I, I can't think of what you're thinking of specifically. Uh, yeah, there was one that we'll, – we'll, we'll talk about it off here. But okay. those, two, those two things – other than that, the finale was great. However, the episode right before the finale was flawless. 
That mm-hmm. is one of the best single episodes of any television series I have seen in forever. Yeah. Like that that penultimate episode was so damn good. What did you think of the duel between Obi-Wan and Padawan uh Anakin that we kept going back to in flashback? The duel looked good, except for the de-aging on Hayden Christensen. <laughs> yeah. But but the Which actual, didn't look like much. The actual duel itself was very well done. Yeah, I thought so too. And I think I know you I know you're a Clone Wars fan too. I think they did a good job of making him fight like Anakin fought on the show. So much so and uh uh at celebration Ewan talked about how uh Hayden Christensen had had some moves that that he used with the lightsaber and everything. And uh, they actually traded a little bit of fight choreography, things that he used to do back then. Uh, he was now doing his Obi-Wan and, and uh, Versa Visa. Uh, the other thing that I have to mention, because you made me think of it just now, there are 30 to 40 unproduced Clone Wars scripts. How about a live-action Clone Wars with these two? Huh? I'd absolutely be down for that. Give it to us now. Have to say, um, it sounds like you guys need Kleenex. Careful there. One thing I think was the smartest thing they did on this whole show was they got a cute little girl to play little girl Princess Leia. So now mm. they have a marketable Disney Princess Leia. Yep. And that, was, about, that was one uh, of the smartest story moves they could have made. droid they gave her. Oh, they're going to sell a million crap. of those. How cute is that? I, I've yeah. got a, a, a story to tell you about Star Wars Celebration and that little droid, too, but I'll save that for another time. Oh, you know, I have no problems with my Princess Leia Disney princess at all, you know. Right? So, I, oh. I, I now, uh, the holster and all that was awesome. I do want to say there was one true great moment I thought in the finale and it's at the end of the lightsaber duel and and they're talking that that exchange that Obi-Wan and and Darth has at the very end of the show was so good but what made it great was how they blended Hayden Christensen and uh, 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 James Earl Jones James Earl Jones voice together in that sequence so they would go back and forth or you would hear them at the same time and that geeked, oh. I watched that scene twice. It geeked me out. I didn't hate the rocks as much as, as, as Nathan did. <laughs> um, but I want to point out um, there's a difference between the Empire moment and the rock moment. In, in the Empire moment, uh, you know, Darth is not trying to kill Luke Skywalker. He's just proven a point. Um, he's you know, and, off the God blessed platform, yo. Yeah, well, he knows it's not going to kill him. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, these guys have history and, you know, but, you know, there's, you know, yeah. I, I made the joke that, you know, there's nothing kind of like having a rock in a rock in your hand sometimes, you know, <laughs> it just passes someone side the head with a rock, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> so, but I, I also agree with Nathan. I thought the fifth episode was my favorite episode of the season. I thought that was a pretty yeah. solid solid episode from beginning to end felt like true star wars and watching darth vader like passive aggressive sword fighting <laughs> was incredible 
you know, it was like, yeah. wow, this is, you know, the true moment. Uh, Raven, did you bring you in a little bit here? Did you see the finale yet? I have not seen the pilot yet. Ah, <laughs> uh, I figured Ooh, it was fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's actually Girl. a really short binge because most of the episodes are under – 40 minutes, um, with the exception of the final one, which was only 15 minutes. These were really short friggin' episodes. Um, That's one negative, maybe. Uh, They said that Mm. there was was like a rumor that the final episode was going to be super long, kind of like what Stranger Things was doing, but it was only 15 minutes, so it was pretty friggin' short. Um, So, uh, one more thing about Star Wars news, and then we're going to move on. They announced today that they're are making a new series and it's for Cal Kestis, um, the fallen order. Um, and they're, he's going to get a TV series. So, um, yeah. you know, and it had been show. rumored for a while yeah. and this one's going to be live action. So, so let's see what happens there. So, go ahead. Let me ask one more question on Kenobi before we move on. Is your opinion on a season two? Uh, both Hayden and Ewan said they'd love to. So, uh, you know, this has done great numbers for Disney and the critical, uh, critical biosphere has been overwhelmingly positive. So fingers crossed. See, I I don't know if I want them to do a season two. I'm not sure I want them to do one either. I thought it was just a good standalone. You can draw. Yeah, but you can go backwards. You don't have to, you know, go forward with it. There's so many possibilities. You can draw such a perfect story, you know, line in the story from the end of this miniseries and Help Me, Obi-Wan, You're My Only Hope. Mm, The line between those two is perfect. Like, I... Take the money you would put for a second saying. season of this and put it for another project and just leave that perfect link alone. I, I, that's a valid point. <laughs> he still oh, won. Oh, and, and we should mention, um, Cal Kestis is uh, originally from uh, the video game Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, that's why I said Fallen Order, but I right, forgot right. it was... Yeah, so yeah, good. But yeah, originally started as a video game. This series is going to have so much platforming. <laughs> so no um, <laughs> let's see. Um, I had a bunch of stuff now. I don't even remember what I'm going to talk about. Uh, one thing I wanted to say, uh, and and Raven will bring you in on this one, um, is that I don't know if you noticed that Joe Bob's new season once again has been killing it with the choices he's been making. Um, he showed Tenebrae the other day, which makes me so happy. And uh, he showed, uh, uh, was it Stepfather? And, you know, he's been, like, showing a lot of, like, once again, he's doing the world good. And um, yesterday they announced the lineup for Jamboree, which is going to be in Memphis this year. Uh, they are showing, I'm trying to find all the information, but they are showing on Saturday night, they're showing two films that are, are music-based. One, they're doing uh, Rock and Roll High School uh, with PJ's attendance, 
And then they're also, yeah, and they're also showing uh, Bubba Hotep for the anniversary. Um, So that is Saturday night. And they're going to have an Elvis concert impersonator that night. Um, And and before before Rock and Roll High School, they're having a Ramones cover band. That's right, they are. uh, uh, Friday night, Darcy is programming it, and she's doing a uh, a retrospective or or a live commentary, it sounded like, of Season of the Witch, uh, the Halloween 3, which is, uh, you know, Joe Buck has a lot of issues with it, but I believe... (laughs) Like the entire the main cast and the director, you know, Tom Atkins and the chick from it and wow. the director are going to be there in attendance live for that. Um, and the Sunday is always the indie lineup. He did not announce the indie lineup, but he did announce the the fan meet and greet that is accompanying it. And uh, he has a lot of great people, obviously already there. But one of the people that stood out for myself and Nathan is the wrestler Danhausen is going to be there. Uh, and you know, Danhausen is kind of this gothic, you know, alien creature on interdimensional being. Yeah, so, mm. you know, that Danhausen, and he's going to, like, people, he's also a huge nerd and an action figure collector. Huh. Uh, so it's like, whoa, like, the, you know, so that's at the Hilton nearby, and this is all in Memphis, Tennessee at the Mako Drive-In, which is a very famous drive-in. Uh, so the Danbury is going to be awesome again this year. Last year it was at the Mahonic in Pennsylvania. So, uh, you know, he's, you know, close, oh, so close yet, oh, so far from here. Go look up Dan Housen's stuff on uh, YouTube. He's got like toy unboxing videos and all kinds of, and a vlog and all kinds of stuff. And he, he's basically like a horror host that randomly oh, wow. wandered into a wrestling show. Like that's basically <laughs> him. Yeah. It, right on. That's kind of how it is. Um, but yeah, it, it looked amazing. Uh, the let's see, the pop culture convention. Let me get details on who's all gonna be there. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, okay, so um, we got all the staff, of course, from the drive the drive-in show. Come on, where's the rest of them? Do do do. Um, we have this John Brennan, Tom Atkins, like I said, Stacy Nelkin. I always forget her name. Um, that's the from from Season of the Witch, Tommy Lee Wallace, the director of Season of the Witch, Fred Williamson, the hammer himself the is hammer. gonna be there. Sybil Danning's gonna be there, PJ Souls is gonna be there, Dan Housen, and two other AEW wrestlers, Blade and the Bunny, and I believe Blade is a horror geek. Um, so it would make sense that he'd be there. So uh, you know, so the fans the pop culture convention that accompanies it is going to be fantastic. Uh, so, you know, once again, Joe Bob just knocking it out of the park. Raven, you've watched this season of Ro- Joe Bob, and uh, how have you been feeling about it this year? Um, I've really liked it. It's been very strong. And the only thing I hadn't liked, and this is just like such a nerdy complaint, is so far until this most recent show, I had seen every single movie already. And oh. when you watch as many horror movies as we do, it's it's going to happen. You're going to start to run out. <laughs> hmm. uh, however, this weekend, I had never seen The Mutilator, and I had only seen the stupid remake of The Stepfather with Amber Heard in it. Um, but I had seen a documentary about the murder that they used for the plot of The Stepfather. 
So I was already familiar with that background um, going into it. So it was really interesting to see, like, what they used from the actual true crime. And uh, I was really interested in that part when Joba was talking about, like, the history of what really happened, this real murder that happened, and how that turned into the stepfather. I found that really um, is fascinating. And you guessed it was going to be stepfather from the clues Darcy and Joe Bob were giving online. I don't think I did. Oh, I thought you had. I think I saw Amityville. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I you might, did say I Amityville. Yeah. That would have been a good guess, and mm. I, I, I might be smoking crack here, but I swear he did Stepfather already. Um, maybe, oh, maybe really? he had, yeah, I, 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 like, I maybe swear I've watched an episode with him, but I could be wrong. Uh, <laughs> so, like I said, I could be smoking crack. He announced two guests um, for the upcoming episode. Uh, Charlie Band and Larry Fessenden are going to be on this week's episodes of, awesome. of uh, Drive-In. Mm. And I'm like, wow. So, so I, I'm hoping they do subspecies. Because a bunch of Charlie Band movies dropped on Shutter, I noticed, including three of the Puppet Master movies oh, yeah. and a couple other ones. But Subspecies would be the one that I would hope he would show people. So, uh, you know, it's by far one of Charlie Band's strongest films. And The Last Winter dropped also on Shutter, which is Larry Fessenden's best movie um, as a director. But who knows if if he's being used as a director or an actor in this case. Uh, so I'm hoping it's last winter. Uh, that would be a really weird combination. So species in the last winter both have monsters in them. But but uh, last winter is going to be prominent for the madness this year because it has a Wendigo in it. So uh, you know Wendigos are awesome. So uh, other other things we need to talk about. Whatever we have to talk about. The, the head hauntress and I saw two animated movies that could yes. not have been more different. Mm. Uh, the first we went and saw Bob's Burgers, which is exactly what it needs to be. It's an hour and a half long episode of Bob's Burgers. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a good episode. It, it had full production numbers in it. Yeah. Like three it, of it's, them. It, it's exactly what you think it is, and it's exactly what it needs to be, and it's exactly what you want. So if you're into Bob's Burgers, see it. You'll dig it. Uh, we also went and saw Mad God. Right. And on. would you like to uh, speak on Mad God? Uh, yeah. Okay. So first of all, I went to the Plaza for the first time to see it. Uh, the Plaza is the big art house here in uh, in Atlanta, and I finally got to it's go and film there. It's been open since 1933. Yeah, and so nice. it's kind of a, a killer venue to go see a movie like this in. That Tibbet has been working on Phil Tibbet. A lot of people don't know him by name, but I know our geek circle does, um, especially Aaron <laughs> here. Um, he worked on everything from Star Wars to Jurassic Park to Starship Troopers. Like he's been a stop animator and one of the people that basically helped make CGI the way it looks now. Like it, it, the reason why one of the reasons why the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park will always look better in the first movie than any of the others is because of the technology that Phil Tibbet helped create for that mm. movie. Um, and so Phil Tibbet is a hero of mine. Uh, and he made here, this here. movie. Um, I think he's gotten very nihil, not nihilistic, but I don't think he has a lot of hope for the future for the human race. 
after watching that, God. Mm. Um, you know, it first it starts out with a very apocalyptic uh, type. Well, it's not apocalyptic. It's Old, Old Testament, Leviticus, right? It's Old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, about the destruction of man. And Leviticus, was it 27 through 36? Which is a very you know pissed off guy blowing up things, uh, you know, which is you know, <laughs> uh, but it starts it's it, it, it it's not giving you the plot of this movie is irrelevant because it's really not about the plot. The, what? the plot. What plot? The yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but there's right, a, there's, there, there's a character that's called the assassin, and we follow him initially into basically it's like almost a seven or eight seal layers of hell um each each area is more terrible than the next and each one's more depraved uh, and and he's on a feudal mission that has been repeated over and over again by others um and he will fail in his mission and uh basically with his failure um the beginning of the world starts over again and <laughs> it all goes back to war over and over again and the human race will forever be an endless loop of war and death very very uplifting good feel good movie of the year <laughs> um but that's irrelevant in the sense that it's absolutely one of the most beautiful spectacles i have seen in a long time like it is absolutely amazing uh if you can see this on the big screen i Do will it. uh yeah, do absolutely do it. Um, I'm so glad. It is on Shutter, so it is accessible for people that don't want to go to the theater. But if you do it, turn off the lights, turn up the TV as bright as possible because it's a very dark film, um, you know, physically dark, um, with moments mm-hmm. of splash of color, which is kind of amazing. Um, and, and give your full attention to it because it deserves, it's not a film to put in the background, not at least initial watch. Um, it might be a film that I put in the background for many years to come as an, you know, as I do stuff. Uh, but there's moments like you just want to pause the, the one thing you can do with shutter is you can mm-hmm. pause it and look at things because there's throwouts to so much pop culture, like Robbie the Robot pops up, uh, Ray Harryhausen's mm. Maquettes pop up, um, all this stuff. Like, it, it's just, it's a sensory overload movie, but it's also very, very bleak. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. but it, it's it, uh, just, I, I, I don't even know what more to say about it, Nathan, other than it, it, it it's going to make my top ten this year, absolutely. Right now, I would say it's probably my favorite film of the year. This movie, um, this movie straight up blew my mind. Like, you, you know those movies, and it doesn't happen very often, where you leave and you're almost in a stupor. Your mind is just still unpacking what you've just seen. And, like, kind of, you know, trying to wrap your head around the symbolism behind any of it, and you're driving home like, oh, that character represented God, and that character represented entropy, and this is what was going on here. And it's just, it, you're almost trying to catch up with the amount of, imagery and symbolism packed into this film. This is one of those kind of films. Now, and, on, on a, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, it's, it almost seems almost like a Rorschach test. Like one of those movies where mm. watching this movie, whatever you think it's about, it is 100% about. Mm-hmm. Which I, I, I think it's, it's interesting that they left enough room to where they had a clear message but left enough open room for you to imprint your own message on it. 
At the credits, though, on a on a completely like awesome, funny note, I always forget that Phil Tibbet is a local guy. Matter of fact, I almost dated one of his assistants when I in the nineties. Um, <laughs> they used to be a regular at my store. I had a, a, a new age shop in in Berkeley, uh, or at the, oh, actually uh-huh. in Albany, but on the edge of Berkeley, um, and with my parents and. Um, <laughs> the credits roll, and I start recognizing names in the credits, including Eric huh. Layton, who was the animator supervisor on uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and a friend of the family. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so wow. he was on the credits. And then even cooler, my favorite Mexican restaurant in Berkeley, Wands, was given a special thanks. <laughs> and I'm like, Wands! Huh. I just yelled it so loud in the theater. Um, you know, that's the one that when you're trying to hit on the girl and it's a, it's like you, you, your first or second date, you always take them to wands. You know, it's it's not a fancy place, but the food is fucking solid and the margaritas are even better. Uh, so, uh, you know, so that was awesome. So Mad God is a huge recommend on our end. Um, let's see. Anything else we've yeah. got to talk about so much. But uh, So definitely Bump's Burgers is a recommend as well, but... I would say that it's not like uh, it's not on the mind blowing level that Mad God was, <laughs> but to see them in the same week was kind of amazing, actually. Um, that was definitely see. the two ends of the animation spectrum. No doubt. Um, <laughs> I know that um, there's two things that Raven and I wanted to talk about for sure, um, and then we'll get back to you in a moment, uh, Nathan. We'll talk about the Highlander um, next. Uh, first of all, I know that uh, Raven wanted to talk about the Weird Al Yankovic trailer that dropped, and the sh- movie's about to drop very soon. Um, cause right. there, there was a, there was a teaser trailer, but now there's a full trailer out. <laughs> yeah, um, let me just say some words, and and I think we'll be in the same spot uh, mentally. First of all, Roku original. Uh, let, okay, already confused. That's okay. That's okay. Roku original. We've got Weird Al biopic. That's also already really weird in its own right. And then we have Daniel Radcliffe, Weird Al. Um, the trailer plays almost like an SNL satire commercial. At first, is this an actual movie, or is this a funny or die sketch? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm still not sure which one it is, you know, but uh, I'm all in. I'm all in, if you will. Uh, uh, I, nice. I can't stop. I can't stop watching that trailer. I can't stop sending it to people and going, what the hell is happening here? Also, I need to watch this right now. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a disaster or painful or painfully funny, and it doesn't really matter. I, I'm so intrigued. So, um, yeah, check out the trailer if you haven't watched it yet. It's an anomaly. And and the other thing I wanted to talk about, and Raven had some very strong opinions about this, but it also <laughs> plays into um, – John Waters was announced yesterday that he's getting a star on the uh, Hollywood mm-hmm. Boulevard. Uh, and, and I'm actually elated that they've paid the money to put his star there. But Raven has some very strong opinions about Hollywood Boulevard. And I told her she could mention it. 
Oh, I can have it like a. This will just be a, a quick, a quickie bitch. Um, <laughs> because this is so, this is so like hypocritical. Because one of my favorite things to do is just wander around aimlessly and look at all the names on the stars. <laughs> and go, wow, that's really cool. Look, why is Jimmy Stewart next to like B. Arthur? I don't know. It's great. <laughs> so that being said. <laughs> What the dream was kind of stripped from me because growing up wanting to get into acting professionally, that was part of the package deal of my dream. One day I'll have my name on the Walk of Fame, right? And there is a $50,000 application fee to apply for the star that goes to the um, city of Hollywood. If you get denied, you don't get your money back. Um, Yeah. This is good in some ways. For example, Kim Kardashian has been turned down five times, and I think that's hilarious. On the other (laughs) hand, (laughs) you end up with people who can apply multiple times because they can afford it, and as long as they can prove longevity in whatever of the five categories there are, you know, there's like TV, radio, movies, et cetera, directing – um, yeah. you're going to get your star. And Donald Trump has three stars. When you oh. see someone has pissed oh. on his star or demolished it with a sledgehammer, that's one of three. Yeah. You know who else yeah. has a star? Godzilla. And Godzilla oh, has a well, star. Godzilla earns one. Oh, Godzilla deserves every <laughs> bit of that star. I, yeah. I have no problem with a kaiju star. I mean, it's Godzilla. <laughs> I'm okay with it, but the point is, Godzilla did not fill out his application. This was done by Godzilla fan club did it. The the Moth of a Twins did that. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. You know, I agree with they filled it out for with ninety nine percent of your drive by bitch, but let me say, (laughs) um, first off, I literally yesterday walked by Vincent Price on my way to the Funko Superstore. And that made my day. Um, And in this one particular case, uh, normally you're 100% right. It's usually a bunch of PR flax getting someone a star because they got a a movie coming out and they want the publicity for it. I agree with you. However, in this one case, Outfest, which is a, a California nonprofit that provides support to LGBTQIA artists, um, paid the fee, so I'm I'm down with that part. That bitching. I wish what the city of Hollywood would do would take even one percent of that application fee and help the over thirty thousand homeless people um, get Amen. into a better situation. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a ways to go, uh, but I do appreciate the historical benefit of it, and I love John Waters more than life itself. Zap. Hmm. Nice. Uh, so, yeah. Um, now, uh, I did want to go back to Atlanta because Atlanta has a, you know, we're talking about, you know, landmarks and, and, and things like that. Atlanta has an area called, I guess it's called the Ponce area. Is that what it's called, Nathan, with, with the plaza and all that there, right? Yeah, that's over right off Ponce and Little Five Points and the Highlands area, yeah, right which through is, there. Which yeah, which is, you know, that's the 
that's the where the plaza is. Little Five Points is where all the little clubs used to be or are. Um, and, you know, and it used to be kind of this culturally cool, cultural little area. When I was, I before I before my time, I used to I did still is, time but I, not, yeah, still is, but, but not quite to the not to the extent it was, but still is still is where a lot so, of cool stuff is. So on top of the plaza, I went to two other um, establishments in that area. One is the Fellini Pizza. Um, first of all, it's named after Fellini, which is you know Fellini. So once again, you got a movie connection there. But the pizza's fucking killer. So shout out to Fellini's. We went there a couple of times this last week. Uh, but one of the <laughs> I showed I showed I showed you Fellini's, and we ended up going there three times in a week. Yeah. So you know, a good slice of pizza. <laughs> it's that good. To, it's yeah, that good. right it's, on. It's pretty solid. Um, and uh, they. There's been a a move to get all that a lot of the like local culture is disappearing. Uh, All the little clubs are being turned into sports bars or fine dining establishments because they put this hike, usually a bike to bike to um, you know bike uh, a rail to trails uh, project will bring like the local flavor to the masses, right? Because people that don't have cars use the bikes so they can get to these places, but it's having the opposite effect in Atlanta. They're actually tearing down the clubs and putting in these, like, generic, like, high-end mixed-use units. Mixed-use development. Yeah, and fine Mm -hmm. dining establishments. And one this week that everyone was pretty devastated about. Um, it's the, called the Highlander. Um, it was the punk club that was in this area, and it, had, it closed its doors suddenly this week. Uh, so when everyone found out it was closing, all of us got in our cars, and it was packed. We went down there, and we all had drinks, and I'm going to let Nathan talk about it because this was one of his haunts growing up. And once again, rest in peace to another killer punk club. So. Man, it was more than a punk club. It was it was definitely a punk club. I saw some killer punk shows there over the years, but it was also a metal club. It was also like a rockabilly club. It's been, it's been all these kinds of different kind of rock all play there, and it's just a, kind of a catch-all venue. But it was a it was a dive bar that randomly made the best plate of mussels in Atlanta and has been featured on diners, drive-ins, and dives twice. So it was a cool ass wow. place where I've been seeing some cool shows since God, I probably went there for the first time in like 97, 98, something like that. And I've been seeing shows since then. And yeah, the, uh, we'll just say the development they were in kind of got priced out and someone else came in and bought it. And they said Monday, Hey, um, <laughs> this is our last night we're closing. So that sucked, but it was cool. Cause you know, Everybody was like, well, I got to go up to the Highlander and have a last drink, whatever. And the place was packed. It was cool. They did probably did more business Monday night than they had in the six months previous. But, man, if you, got, if you have a drink, put it up. Here's to a club that gave Atlanta a lot of good times and a lot of good memories for a lot of good shows, a lot of strongly poured drinks, and <laughs> a lot of after-hours being open when nowhere else in town was here's the highlander here here i gotta drink too um as this is my one and only time going to this place 
it reminded me of CBGBs uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, not in its layout, but in in its in its style, like the small stage with the adjacent bar where they sold the local art to the masses. So all that was there, and CBGBs used to do the exact same thing. And I coincidentally was at CBGBs the weekend with Nounce Stew was closing. So I have this like really bad habit of going one time to the famous punk club and seeing it go away. So I hope it's not my fault, but here's to the Highlander. But here's what I'm thinking. At a club called the Highlander, that means if it closes, some other club in Atlanta has to experience the quickening. <laughs> like all, the, all that punk and metal energy is going to have to find a new host at some club in Atlanta, or a new one might pop up. So I'm just holding on to that. <laughs> Someone's going to get the quickening, and we're going to get another great venue pop up. It, and to lighten the mood, I actually introduced Nathan to a, a, a punk pop uh, kids band that out of D.C. called Eyeball Skeleton. Uh, Eyeball and Skeleton. Been, and he's been singing uh, Spooky Mummy Case ever since. Oh, my God. <laughs> that song is so insidious. It has, like, some kind of hidden occult, like, curse in the lyrics that just make it stick in your head and never leave, and you're cursed forever Please. with it. But, but like, a, a couple of their songs, straight up unlistenable. And then they hit huh. Redfish and Spooky Mummy Case, and they're both solid jams. And after that, the whole album's like some... 60s garage rock stuff sung by an eight-year-old. Six and eight. <laughs> pretty, it's, it's pretty it's dope. A, the band is consisting of uh, brothers six and eight, and, um, and this was in 2005 when this band was founded, uh, so they're much older now. But uh, they were six and eight when they started, and then their father was their music director. Um, so, And you can get this. It, I found that most of their songs on Amazon Prime, with the exception of Lost Cat, which is one of my favorite songs by them. Um, it's based on the famous poster of this cat that someone was looking for. And it's not spelled lost. It's spelled L-O-S-S. Lost cat. Um, and, and here it goes back to Atlanta. Uh, it turns out it's a print that they uh, from Atlanta. I had no idea. I thought it was always thought it was a local thing in D.C., but it's not. <laughs> so it all come, all roads lead to lost cat. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm putting out a challenge. To any of the listeners out there, any of my fellow sexy witches, whatever. Once we are done here, Google Eyeball Skeleton Spooky Mummy Case. Listen to it one time and shut it off. Don't listen to it again. And I guarantee you within like, within 48 hours, you're going to catch yourself just on a random moment going, Spooky Mummy Case, Spooky Mummy Case, and realize that you've got the curse too. Yeah. Listen to it once. It will happen within 48 Challenge hours. I accepted. promise you. <laughs> it is such an insidious brain worm, man. And if people don't want to Google it, I am actually going to play it at the end of the show tonight. Uh, oh, yeah, right. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, I have it queued up. Uh, so we have a couple minutes before our guest, Will Keenan, uh, calls in. So do we have any last thoughts on uh, things and um Anything before they I have one in. brief one. <laughs> okay, go um, ahead. I, 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 I wanted. I don't remember if you mentioned it or not, but um, I wanted to to get it out that uh, Mad God was uh, Phil Tibbetts thirty years in the making, which I just 
blows my mind. He did it in between various things, and wow, just insane. It shows and then the, I want that. Yeah, seriously. It shows there's, and then some, I there's to, some shots in that that are so detailed that they had to take forever for, like, single shots on that. Yeah, because, you know, all by hand. And, you know, he had to train the people who were working on it. And just, it blows my mind. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask, is anyone watching Star Trek Strange New Worlds or Ms. Marvel? Yeah. Um, I, I, I okay. haven't watched the boys yet either. Um, so I was going to hold um, off no, for another episode. So another I need, episode, I, I should get be caught up. Um, right on. I, I, we we wanted to finish up Obi-Wan before we started another show. So uh, now that Obi-Wan's over, I'm going to binge dive the boys and catch up with that. In yes. So. Did you see Diabolical yet? No, The I animated not. series. No. I've watched four episodes. I recommend. Di- was it on? It, it, each, it's on Amazon. It, it's, uh, sub, it's in the same <laughs> world of uh, the boys. And in fact... Um, Oh, gosh, uh, Captain Lorca from Discovery and uh, Malfoy's dad. I'm going to blank on his name. He does a really, really good um, Billy Butcher <laughs> impression. But every single uh, episode of this animated series, and they're all very short, has a different animated style. The first one uh, just is pure Carl Stalling and Chuck Jones. And it's genius, and uh, they're all fun and severely twisted, and uh, some great people working on them. Um, uh, Justin from uh, 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 Rick and Morty uh, does one, and they're all brilliant, and none of them are the same. So it's, it's a little animated boys series that features the world of the boys. Excellent. And on speaking, speaking of boys, let me introduce our guest tonight. People will know him as a young man in the trauma movies, including Tara Firmer and his starring role, his first starring role in Tromeo and Juliet, arguably one of the best trauma films out there. Uh, but he has a very eclectic career. Not just that, he was also the star of uh, Johnny Lo- uh, Kathleen Love of Johnny X, and he is a digital innovator an actor, producer, editor, and even a spiritual leader in New Jersey. Please welcome to the show and give a great sexy witch hello to actor and Renaissance man, Will Keenan. Thank you for being on the Sexy Witches, sir. Um, (laughs) Hi, can you hear me? Yes, you sound great. How are you doing? Okay. Yeah, good. Uh, I love that introduction. You may have known him as a young man, and now, now I'm what? I'm, I'm an old man. Thanks well, we both a lot. We're, we're the same age, so you know it, it's not the years; it's the mileage. No. So you know. You're old. No, I'm just kidding. No. Yeah, I, I am old. Plenty, I am old. Plenty of years. Plenty of mileage. How are you guys so, doing tonight? Great. Thank Can you we? for coming awesome. on the show. We were just geeking out on some Star Wars and a few other things tonight, but we're going to bring it back yeah, to some the, old school indie cinema because, um, uh, you know, we've been doing, we've been covering independent cinema. Cinema. We always, it's always one of our main topics, but this year we've been deep diving it. Um, and uh, we've yeah. even, and we even had uh, Dean Bahar on the show, uh, which I know you have a, a minor oh. connection with Cannibal the Musical uh, there. Uh, so uh, 
We and Ooh. also, you know, we also had Jeremiah Kip on the show, which you give a shout out to. I just watched your short uh, Tromeo found twenty five years later, and he was in the special thanks. So Uh-oh. you know, it it all roads lead back to indie cinema. And um, so uh-huh. for the sexy witches that may not, or our listeners that may not know much about you by face name, but they certainly know you by face. Wanted to give a quick thumbnail of your career, and then we'll deep dive some of your stuff. And once again, thank you for coming on the show. Sure, sure. Uh, oh, boy. I haven't done this in a little while. Um, career. <laughs> career! I got, I got into NYU early decision and uh, by auditioning for to School of the Arts. And they gave me a pile of money and, and gave me an early decision. I was like, all right, I guess I'll take this thing seriously. And I was there, and uh, it was very expensive. We're going back to the, I guess, early 90s. And... I decided to get my money's worth and double majored and double minored. So it was theater and psychology and philosophy and dance. And they put me in the really weird, the uh, really weird theater program called the experimental theater wing. And I really just fell in love with performance art, dance and avant-garde theater. And I was happy. I knew, you know, I knew it would never make any money, but I was happy. And then uh, the week before graduation, my friends and I were all sitting around my apartment on St. Mark's Place in New York City, and someone was looking through backstage, and we're all talking about what we're going to do after graduation, and one of them was like, oh, my God, Troma's casting. And I was like, what's Troma? And they were like, you, what do you mean? You don't know Toxic <laughs> Avengers, Surf Nazis must die, Class of Newcomb High, da, 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 going on and on. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, was, I didn't watch a lot of movies when I was a kid. I was more of a going outside and climbing trees and stuff. But they said it's uh, Tromeo and Juliet, and it was like there's actual Shakespeare in it. And I had just finished up a whole semester of Shakespeare and fell in love with uh, that kind of acting. It's kind of like full-bodied acting. And so we all went down and auditioned. And, uh, and then they called me back, and then I was working with Jane, and they were videotaping all the auditions. And I guess Lloyd would watch them at home with his wife, Patty Pie. And from what I heard, she's the one who really cast me. She's the one who said, you got to go with this guy. And I had no idea what I was getting into. I read that script, and I was like, oh, my God. But, <laughs> but, there, was actually, but there was actually Shakespeare in it. And I said to myself, you know, this, who knows if I ever get another chance to do Shakespeare on film. So uh, I think they paid me $300 for two months' work. Uh, and it was, a, it was a really learning experience. I remember when I first saw the movie at, in, at the Cannes Film Market, and I think it was 96 or something. I don't, I don't even remember when. But uh, I, was, I was aghast at what I looked like on film because I was a stage actor, and I was essentially overacting. But I guess it worked for trauma because you know, I look like a trauma monster sometimes, the facial expressions I make. And that's something that... You know, and I did like 45 movies after that, but it's something um, I, don't, I don't know if I ever really cracked that nut uh, because, you know, the, the film, it's the all-seeing eye. It sees everything. On stage, you know, you have to emote to the you know, back of the room, however big the room is. You know, TV is more close-ups, and YouTube, you like a trauma character or monster on YouTube, like broad, you know, actions and gestures and stuff uh, on, a, on a super tiny screen. So I don't know if I ever totally cracked that nut, but uh, and then that was the kind of the beginning of it because I didn't know that Troma was an established independent like you know film uh, institution pretty much even back then. 
and uh, and then you know other offers to play really weird, sick and twisted characters came about. I think my second movie was uh, credited as the first fully digital feature film, and it was by a company back then called Good Machine, which was uh, you know Good Machine, Miramax, there were uh, Fine Line, there were a few companies back then that were just you know at the top of their game with indie cinema around the world. <clears throat> Good Machine was one of them. And a very, a very, uh, you know, he's pretty famous, and uh, he makes great movies. Producer Anthony Bregman, Eternal Sunshine, and lots of movies uh, every year now. Um, he that was his first producing gig, and he picked this really weird script called Love God. It's about a kind of schizophrenic with compulsive reading syndrome who's being followed by ancient fertility figures, and there was over three thousand cuts in the movie, and really loud punk rock punk rock music through it <clears throat> and uh, gets credit for being the first fully digital feature film because uh, Sony had lent Good Machine, a very reputable indie film company at the time, and uh, they lent them a digital beta camera just to test it out. And rather than just test it out, Anthony, who was another famous producer, Ted Hope's uh, assistant at the time, he said, you know, I'll make a whole movie with it and I want to do this script. Very, very weird movie. Uh, and then, you know, and then there was a kind of a, a resurgence of indie film in New York during those years. There had been a boycott or something with the unions for a while, so there wasn't much except for guerrilla filmmaking going on. But then in the <clears throat> mid-late 90s, uh, you know, indie cinema just, you know, I mean, there was film festivals popping up like, you know, every other week. Uh, and I just kind of racked them up, did all, did all these movies. I caught the bug early on. I think it was after my second movie as a lead, uh, Love God, that I made my first short film called Hoofboy, a mockumental melodrama about a young man's feet and the women who won't touch them. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, we produced more movies. I did one. I think the last movie I made in New York City, because uh, I started producing and co-directing and co-writing and starring in all my movies, uh, Operation Midnight Climax, OMC was one. It was my big stunt movie. I think there's a stunt in every scene, like some kind of conspiracy theory in every scene. And, uh, and then, you know, 9-11 happened, and I started to like, really think about what I wanted to do with my life. I was threatening to, to go to you know, the Himalayas and just become a monk. Uh, and then <clears throat> I fell uh, with someone who was in one of the Troma movies with me. So the, I did two Troma movies, Tromeo and Juliet, where I played Tromeo. And then I think it was like a year and a half, two years later, we shot Terror Firmer, uh, which was kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, what would you call, what the heck would you call Terror Firmer? It's, I, I, it's I just like watched a, it for the first time in my life today, um, yeah. prepping for this yeah. interview. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. First I mean, of all, Lloyd, it, it, pretty much playing himself. Except it's, not it, it, it's kind of meta uh, for, a, but it's still completely yeah. a trauma movie with all the gore yeah. and gross out yeah. you want. Um, it, it's yeah. um, probably their last, I would say, good film. Uh, you know, like like <laughs> yeah. high end. You know, yeah. it, it, you know the last because yeah. it, it definitely was shot. Yeah. You could tell in a pre nine eleven world. Uh, so yeah. maybe the last yeah. innocent. So film. Lloyd- I mean, it was it was very, you know, shooting a trauma movie is like going to war, right? Uh, so after Tromeo, and I got to travel, you know, around the world, go to Cannes, all that kind of stuff. 
And, you know, people knew me as Tromeo, but, you know, uh, having that being my first movie, starting my film career like that, it was almost like a porn career. It opened up some doors, but it slammed other ones shut. So I really had to work hard uh, in that, in that era to, you know, do other kinds of independent films to be almost taken seriously. And then Lloyd asked Mm -hmm. me to be the lead in Terra Firmer. And I read the script and he wanted me to play the character Trent Haga plays, the Jerry character. And I said, no, I want to play the other character. And, and, I, and I'd like it to be rewritten as a hermaphrodite. And Lloyd was like, what? What are you talking about? You're crazy. And, uh, and I told him I wanted to cast Trent Haga as Jerry. He's like, what? No, you're crazy. He looks like a Steve Buscemi on heroin. <laughs> but <laughs> I... I got my way. I told him I, I, you know, that I, wouldn't, I didn't want to do the movie. And I told him I also wanted to be a producer on the movie and kind of do what James Gunn did you know, on Tromeo and like Trent did on, on Citizen Toxie because I really wanted to you know, learn as much about filmmaking as I could. So you know, we, uh, you know, the script was always being tinkered with. Um, you know, I, I staged all the rehearsals and was a, a real producer on the movie. And I'm glad I did it. And, you know, to play the cinema's first hermaphrodite serial killer uh, was pretty cool. But, you know, I think it was ahead of its time in a way, because even that, that ending scene that kind of uh, with the, the South Park boys, Trey and Matt, uh, where they, yeah. they're hermaphrodites and, and they don't know which bathroom to use and stuff. So, the, <laughs> so it was like 20, 20 years ahead of its time as far as like gender identity and bathrooms and so forth. And, uh, you know. <laughs> Feeding a Ron lot Jeremy, of feeding Ron Jeremy. Pop up. Yeah, right. Ron yeah. Jeremy pops yeah. up, and, and Joe Lynch did a couple of behind the scenes. He was actually below the yeah. line on that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. it, that that surprised me to see his name pop up at like a three different look, three different jobs. Like I guess everyone in of trauma wears yeah. many hats. So this is kind of how it works on trauma. Um, that that and, is true, especially if you're like uh, I think Joe started out as a production assistant and he's in the movie. He's, he's the character that has uh, clothespins all, all over his face. But yeah, Joe, Joe's a super, he was a super smart guy, super nice guy, really hard worker. And that's the thing. I mean, trauma, it's like a revolving door. A lot of people, you know, they, they take their time shooting, you know, it's like a two month, three month thing sometimes. And people are getting fired all the time. People are walking off all the time. Not everyone can handle being on a, on a trauma movie. Uh, I was lucky in Tromeo because I was a lead actor. So both Jane and I, who played uh, Juliet, Jane Jensen, we were the only ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, there's a behind-the-scenes documentary of Terror Firmer called, was it called? Oh, yeah, Farts of Darkness. Uh, <laughs> and and, awesome. and it, it's really behind the scenes of a trauma movie. People, people watch that, even trauma fans watched it, and they're like, oh, come on, that, that can't be true. It can't be like that. Like, no, oh, it is like that. Um, but wow. as a lead, as a lead, we were the only ones not yelled at by Lloyd because he's a madman on set. Uh, and the only reason the leads aren't yelled at is because I think he says this in his book or something that is because if we walk off, you know, if we get pissed off because he's a madman and yells, you know, and screams. And I mean, I, I've seen him make people cry. I mean, I, I, I heard he told someone that that's the first thing he wants to do when he gets on set is make someone cry. You know, like a poor PA, yeah. you know, PA who traveled from Kansas and is sleeping on the floor eating, you know, cheese sandwiches, not getting paid just to, you know, work on a trauma movie. He'll make that person cry right when he gets out of his car. 
because he think he said he it sends you know uh, you know something around the set that everyone has to be on their toes or something. I never yeah, totally yeah. agreed with that, but yeah, yeah, so yeah. the reason he doesn't go like at the lead at all. What's yeah. that? I say that doesn't sound like your style at all. No, no. And in fact, to, to kind of counteract my experiences on those trauma movies and some of the other, you know, because once, once I was Tromeo and then played the uh, Casey Kaufman and Tara Firmer, I was getting lots of offers, you know, leads, but they were really sick and twisted characters. And it was never, you know, wasn't really my cup of tea, but I guess I was good at it. <laughs> Uh, but I would, after, you know, all day shooting, getting done at midnight, I would go to a, a small cafe in the East Village, like, you know, like where a poetry slam was happening or, or open mic night or something. And I would do like spiritual rap poetry. <laughs> oh. But anyway, the reason he doesn't, the reason Lloyd doesn't yell at his leads is because if they walk off, he has to reshoot with any other <laughs> character, even a supporting character. He says, we'll just put a watermelon in its place. He doesn't care. <laughs> and he just doesn't want to have to buy more film you know um so so that came out oh like God. i think we shot that in the summer of 99 it came out 2000 2001 and then 9 11 hit and it was really kind of like you know what what am i doing with my life and i wanted to become a monk but i fell in love someone who was in uh that i i was the casting director of terra firmer as well someone who was in terra firmer who i cast uh who i was kind of secretly in love with um, 9-11, we were kind of like a 9-11 relationship after it happened. Uh, she lived in the East Village. I lived in Williamsburg, and it happened. And, you know, I just started walking across the bridge. And who do I see walking across the bridge from Manhattan uh, was was her. And we fell in love. Aww. And, uh, yeah, it was very sweet. And we were together 15 years. Uh, and we moved to Los Angeles. In 2003, and in a way, I got the best of both worlds because I really did just want to go off and become a monk. Uh, but we moved to Los Angeles and lived in technically an ashram, a spiritual hermitage, for seven years, and that was wow. amazing because I was I was still in the industry and I was doing some acting out there. I think one of the first gigs I got out there was playing the fake white Michael Jackson on NBC's uh, Law and Order SVU. Uh, and I started. I was producing as was producing as well so i would be you know and the the ashram the spiritual hermitage was in east hollywood so during the day i'd be out like you know with all the hollywood types and i'd, I'd be able to come back to the ashram and it took up a whole pretty much a whole city block and it's you know uh, running water and benches to meditate and you know a beautiful environment that kind of kept my sanity back then but in 2006 i guess when the economy took the downturn because uh, I was producing independent films and we were getting, you know, I'm really good. I was really good at raising money, like, you know, whether it's a $200,000 indie movie or $2 million or $4 million one. And I was mostly raising money from, you know, rich finance, finance guys, like hedge fund guys who really didn't care if they made their money back. They just wanted to, to come to the parties and meet actresses. <laughs> but all that kind of, uh, you know, and even foreign pre-sales, everything dried up when uh, the economy kind of crashed in 2006, 2007. And the only, from what I could tell, the only, you know, especially independent film industry in the whole world that wasn't affected by it was in India, like Bollywood and Tollywood, uh, southern Indian films. So I just went on an exploratory trip, I think it was like 2006, 2007, uh, to India 
And because I was a Westerner who had some legitimate credits to the name, they kind of rolled out the red carpet for me. And for about a period of four years, I was flying to India, uh, you know, every year on and off. My first trip there was like two weeks. My last trip there was 11 months. I was working with some of the biggest wow. stars there as a producer, Shah Rukh Khan, Malika Shervat, uh, you know, Shweta, Shweta Pandit, Shruti Hassan. I don't know if you know any of these. But, and that was, a, that was a whole other world. But it was very, uh, you know, it was like working on a trauma movie in a way because they, they shoot films very, very differently. Uh, and then, <clears throat> and then I, my last trip there was 11 months, like I said. My, my wife, uh, the girl I'm talking about, became my wife. She called me. And she was doing really well in, in Los Angeles. She became Getty Images' most senior contributing photographer. She said, look, I know you're doing well out there. And I was. I mean, I was, they had me on the cover of the Bombay Times, which is like the New York Post of all of India, as a hot young Hollywood producer. She said, but if you don't come back, I think we're going to have a problem with our, in our marriage. I was living mm. large. I had a driver, a cook, a gardener, a domestic staff, you know. Uh, wow. and, and within, within three days I was, I was back in LA and then I said, okay, what now? <clears throat> and I huh. since 2006, pretty much when YouTube came out, I've always wanted to trans, you know, I, I, so this is like 2011 for four or five years. I always wanted to transition from, you know, traditional filmmaking to digital. And by then I could see what was happening on YouTube. You know, I could see YouTube stars being, you know, essentially building themselves. And I just thought, you know, especially in the spirit of indie cinema, where we did a lot of guerrilla filmmaking without permits and kind of do it yourself. And it was like, you still needed a bunch of people. It takes a village to, uh, to make a movie, even takes a, takes a miracle to finish it. But with YouTube and all the kind of prosumer, you know, cameras and editing equipment, uh, I was really, really interested in it. But so I, I got back and I, for three weeks, I just put myself in a boot camp and I studied everything I could. We had this big dining room table and it was just filled with stacks of printouts with highlights and notations. And at the end of it, I was kind of like, ha ha, I know everything about digital. And now I didn't, <laughs> but I think that confidence, I think that confidence level kind of sent something out into the universe because like hours later, I get a call from the wife of an old friend, uh, uh, Liza Lynn. Michael Lenny was one of the producers of East, East True Hollywood Story, and we had done like a TV pilot together. She called me, and she's like, I hear you're back in town. You know, I, I'm working at this, uh, she's HR, uh, Human Resources, at uh, this, it was called Multi-Channel Networks at the time, called Maker Studios. And I was like, oh, I know Maker, because I had just read about them. And then she got me in an, <clears throat> an interview with uh, some of the founders, and they hired me immediately. And so since this was like a career transition, I, uh, from day one, I just wanted to make myself indispensable to every department. So, and then this was, you know, kind of the rise of multi-channel networks on YouTube and YouTube stars. <clears throat> so it was right place, right time. And I guess I did the right job and moved up the ladder pretty quickly. And then, uh, because we did so well and the company maker studios was sold to Disney for almost a billion, a billion dollars. Uh, my name was out there and then, I uh, was asked to become president of Endemol's uh, North American Digital Division. Endemol being, I think still, Endemol Shine now, is the world's largest television production company. And that was cool. Wow. And I did that, for two, did that for two years. And then uh, I was starting to get burned out because I was working so much uh, 
and my, you know, it kind of ended our marriage. She was working too much. I was working too much. We'd see each other. Maybe we, I mean, we lived together, slept in the same bed, but we may see one another once a week because whenever I got home, she was asleep. Whenever I woke up, she was gone, you know, out working. <clears throat> so we kind of grew apart that way. And, uh, oh man, now, now I'm lost. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I started to get burned out and then, and then I was going to take a sabbatical. So now we're at like a 2015, 16, like a true sabbatical, six months off the grid. I just wanted to stand on my head and at some place, you know, where I, I, I couldn't access any, any digital, any analog, nothing. I just wanted to meditate and, uh, you know, have someone drop off vegetables and fruit once a week and do a solitary kind of thing for six months. Uh, but, and, I, and because of my career and great friends all around the world, some of them doing very well, I was getting these amazing offers to do it in India, to do it in Greece at my friend's palace, or to do it in Rome, da, da, da. And then this voice in my head say, if you, if you do this, by the time you come back, your mother's not going to be alive. So I called my mom, who lives in a small, little small town in South New Jersey, and I said, hey, Ma, do you mind if I come back? to do my six-month sabbatical in my old room when I was, like, 16 years old. And she said, sure, Billy. And, uh, and I thought I had six months with her because I, I knew she was sick. Uh, some of my family members who lived around here, they were like, oh, you're being dramatic, you actor. But I, I just kind of knew. You know, she was battling cancer for, I found out, you know, after she had passed going through all her paperwork for, like, nine years, and she didn't tell anybody. She was a nurse. A OBGYN, a baby nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they, they used to call her the Mother Teresa of Nursing at Cooper Hospital in um, Camden, New Jersey. Yeah, and I thought I had six months with her. <clears throat> Turned out to be six days. My sisters say mm-hmm. that pretty, pretty much waited for me to come home. And wow. then when that happened, I was mourning. Uh, and instead of, like, cutting my sabbatical short or just taking off and, and standing on my head in India, uh, I reconnected with a lot of family and friends in South Jersey, and I lived in her condo for a few months, uh, three or four months, and uh, mourned. And I was visiting friends on the Jersey Shore, the South Jersey Shore, not what you hear, you know, not the MTV show. Uh, it's called the Jersey Cape, Cape <laughs> May, Wildwood, Ocean City, Seattle City. And I got tired of taking the, the uh, Atlantic City Expressway and the Garden State Parkway, and I started taking the back roads. And this would be, I think, October, November of 2016. I saw this historic old church for sale with this cemetery around it where people born in the 1700s, a lot of the famous founding families of Cape May County are buried here, built this church. And I just decided to do, uh, you know, there was a number out front for the real estate agent. I just wanted to go inside and check it out. And I called them. I was like, ah, you know, they call me back. You know, maybe I'll go see it before I... I go back north. I got the call back in 10 minutes. You like to see the church? <laughs> Supposedly it had been on the market for a while. So I saw it, and I guess the, uh, the spirit hit me. And I made an offer, and they accepted it, like an all-cash offer. And I took over this. I kind of saved this historic church, uh, and I started a foundation and, uh, and a church. And I named it after my mother. Her name was Barbara. I call it St. Bad's. It's kind of like a church <laughs> of all religions. You know, even even atheists come to some of our meditation services. And I've been here for, you know, I guess five years now. And 
And it was something that just came out in the Philadelphia Inquirer because we just acquired an 18-acre estate uh, as our retreat center. And it's been, I got to tell you, it's the most challenging gig I've ever had because I don't have a staff of 40 like my last few jobs. Um, <clears throat> I'm in a very different place, and I'm just, you know, my gig now is just trying to uh, live a life of service. So we've provided emergency shelter to like 150 people. You know, I've given out pretty much hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash and computer equipment, music equipment, clothing, food, and so forth to families in need. And we have like guests, um, pastors, preachers, or just, you know, we had a Sufi do a, you know, a session here, a, a rabbi, a female Catholic priest. And it's kind of like an open door policy, church of all religions type, type of place. And uh, but it's the most most challenging gig I've ever had, but the most fulfilling, I would say. And here First we are. But I've kept my I've kept my foot in in the industry. Like I executive producer of a documentary called The Last Sermon, one of Jack Baxter's kind of a famous controversial documentary filmmaker. And I consult on the side. And I, st- I think I got a few left in me, you know. And uh, <laughs> people have been asking me, you know, I still even from the trauma days, I still get a few offers a year from like people who like that kind of movie and they're making their own and they want me to be in it. But, um, you know, I did Shakespeare at the Philadelphia from, uh, fringe festival last year and they asked me to do it again. Uh, so here and there, but, and the biggest thing, you ready? I ready. have a daughter, I have a child. Yay. Ten, months old, 10 months and like three days old. Her name is Alan Meta Keenan. And I don't, yeah, I can't, can't even put it in the words because I call her super miracle baby because um, I hope this doesn't gross you out. <clears throat> when I was 16 years old, I, I had an emergency operation down there on my nether regions. It's something called testicular Ooh. torsion. They told me, the, they told, yeah, exactly. They told me at the time it happened to 2% of growing American boys. And it's the second worst pain to labor right there in one of your testicles. Uh, and it's, just, it's just a weird thing. So that happened to me, and, you know, uh, thankfully they, they were able to save my testicles, but they said you'll never be able to, to, have, to have children. And let's just say I've had a long and fulfilling romantic life, and no one ever came a knock, and I live a public enough life, and I've, uh, you know, been rich at points where I feel like if I had a kid out there, they would have come a knocking by now. So, um, yeah. So I was in love again, uh, for true love, I guess, you know, for the second time. And mm-hmm. she had asked me, you know, about having kids. And I was like, well, look, here's my deal. Well, let's have fun trying. Uh, but she really, <laughs> convinced, she really convinced me, because I just never thought I could. She convinced me to try. So in, in our church where we live in the back, it's like a, or, or we were living uh, in the back, it's like a parsonage, uh, and for like six months, I just went out into the sanctuary and lovingly demanded from God to make this possible. <laughs> and, then, and then I think it was, yeah, it was like a day or two before Christmas Eve uh, in 2019, I was working outside and she comes out and she's like crying. She's like, Will, Will. And I'm like, whoa, 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 who do I need to kill? What's going on? She <laughs> pink pregnancy test i forget what it's called she's like i'm pregnant and i'm like oh god honey no 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 oh, don't get your hopes up please baby 
She's like, no, I can feel it. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And then I went out and bought two of the, the expensive ones, the $50 digital ones that blank, pregnant, pregnant. And over a <laughs> eight-hour period, uh, it was like three in a row. It said she was pregnant. I was like, holy shit, this is happening. And it's, wow. the, it's the greatest joy. I've never, I've never known a love like this. You know, I've, I've always tried to you know, be collaborative, help people. I've helped a lot of people in their careers. I've helped people through St. Babs. But, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's still unexplainable to me that uh, there's, there's something, you know, more important than anything in the whole, in the whole world, and that's this, this little girl and being, being her dad. Well, congratulations on the baby. That's amazing. Yeah, and um, I also want to thank you for doing what you're doing in Cape May. I am a huge fan of Cape May. I used to go there all the time. Are you? Um, yep. Ooh. I actually was there in thanks for Thanksgiving this year. Um, I actually took Nathan, oh, wow. our co-host, to Maurice yep. here to do Dante's we'll Dungeon there. because we're both dark <laughs> ride enthusiasts, and I wanted to make nice. sure he saw he saw Maurice Pier because it's, you know, as vintage as you get. Um, and yeah. Wildwood it, at night is gorgeous, of course. Um, so thank you for yeah, preserving because yeah. you, not only you not only is you turned it into a meditation center, but you saved it for that 18 acres from a housing development, which is we, yeah. need, less, we yeah. don't need more mm-hmm. of those things. So not mm-hmm. down there. Uh, so, totally so, true. So and it's right there that. in the – you're welcome. Yeah, it's right there in Rio Grande. They say it's the last property of its kind down there, right at the gateway to Cape May and Wildwood. And not a lot of people even knew about it because the same family's had it for like 75 years. And it was just, you know, especially with, you know, having had a child. And I thought, you know, we saved a church, St. Babs saved in a historic church, but surrounded by death, right? There's a historic cemetery that, you know, it's a two-acre property and it's mostly old dead people. And then you know, having a baby, it's like this new life. And then kind of, you know, saving this, this natural oasis, the last of its kind in that area uh, where it's teeming with life. I mean, it's, uh, I, and I didn't, I don't think I knew this when I was a kid because we used to vacation on the Jersey Cape all the time and had houses in Wildwood and Seattle City. But the Jersey Cape is one of the bird watching capitals of the world. And yes, that, it is. you know, a state, that, that a state we call now, Lake Safehaven at St. Babs Grand Retreat, and Grand with an E, like Rio Grande. Um, but that's one of the bird-watching capitals of the Jersey Cape, and it's the, the last American holly forest uh, in Cape May County, and there's all these birds, that uh, different kinds of birds that go there, and, and there's this famous eagle that has a nest there. It's really, really amazing. I mean, and, it's not uh, just birds. It's the raptor corridor. You are on the actual pathway the raptors migrate through. I know this because I used to go oh there every year for the bird migration. Stuff. Yes, I, have to <laughs> I, used to be, I used to be a park ranger, so I used to go down to Cape May every oh. October to do the do the raptor migration. Did you, did you go to Reed's Beach? Um, is like a mile away, a mile away from the church on Route 47. But Reed's Beach, it's uh, on the bay side, right? And it's, yeah, uh, I have. I did you know, go to of, the bay side. I actually yeah, prefer the bay because, side. And, and there's this, I think it's in May, early May, uh, when the, one of the migrations is going on, there's like all these, you know, million, it looks like millions of horseshoe crabs just kind of roll up Aww. on the beach. And then the, the birds come and just, the birds come and just pick at them for a few weeks or something like that. Next time. Uh, oh, no, I was going to say, uh, 
please. Yeah, no, next time I will definitely let you know if I'm coming to town because I, I love Cape Absolutely. May. I have even I have friends that still live there. Uh, so I, really? I, I, yeah. Um, I have I'm sure they know St. Babs. Uh, oh, I, I bet you they do. <laughs> I'm going to actually talk to him about this tomorrow probably and say, hey, Shane, what's up? Cool. You know that this person I'm glad is... You didn't... I'm glad you didn't talk to them before tonight because who knows what they would have said. You know, when I first got here, my first year here, I tried to do a a Halloween event at this old church. And a lot of the locals, because it was was news here, you know, the Philadelphia Inquirer did a story that I took over the church and Press of Lang City and stuff. And and even though I'm from here, they still, you know, I hadn't been here for a while. Uh, I'm what they call like an outsider. They call them shoobies. Uh, which is people who used to many years ago come down to the Jersey Shore from Philly or somewhere else and spend the day and have their their lunch in a shoebox. And all the locals down here almost hate the summer season because, you know, on the Jersey Cape during the summer season, which is pretty much, you know, from late April till, you know, early September, there's 2 million people coming back and forth. In the off season, uh, there's less than 50,000 people here in this area. So, it's a big deal, but I tried to do this Halloween thing and people got really upset and it was oh. going to be classy. It was going to be classy because there's, there's all these famous personages from this area in the cemetery, uh, civil war hero, the first female uh, slave buried in a quote unquote white cemetery. It's got a lot of history. So I was hiring actors to take people essentially on tour around the cemetery in character Uh and I think some of the locals, actually, they told me a month later that they thought <clears throat> uh, because of me and I'm outsider and the, the Hollywood guy, they thought it was just going to be like a party and people desecrating graves and stuff. But they gave me a hard <laughs> time. It, it, and it became news. It was like crazy. It was on NBC News. The controversy was in all the wow. newspapers around here. It, it even made it to the UK Daily Mail, uh, which is a big oh, good Lord. channel. Oh, tab, tab yeah, yeah. That's so, a rag. Although they beat me up for six months, my first six months here uh, kind of made the place uh, world famous at the same time. Which is funny because one of the most famous haunted tours in America is in Cape May. So you'd think they would embrace it. Uh, you know, I, it's the only, it's yeah, the, I, I'm but, not a huge fan yeah. of ghost tours, but it's the only one that I recommend is the one in Cape May. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know. I think it more it, had to do with the cemetery and people thought, because there's, there is, there's a few, few plots left. And actually there was a funeral here just, uh, just few day, uh, yesterday on Tuesday. Um, so there are some newer interred personages. And, you know, they, I think they think it was disrespectful. And, and I wasn't, like, there was going to be no disrespect. Like, you know, my mother, uh, she, she was, I could never do anything that would be, in, in her words, untoward, you know, in her name. Mm. But they didn't, they didn't know that when I first came to town, you know. Um, right. And, yeah. So, but, but it still confused me because I was like, wait a minute. Like, there's Halloween events in cemeteries, you know, all over the United States, all over the world you know, every yeah. Halloween, why can't I do one here? And it became a, you know, people still, you know, come up to me about it. And they're like, man, you know, sorry what they did to you back then. <laughs> but we made it, we made it through. And, and uh, you know, kind of starting out here, you know, like that, what do they say? Like, you know, uh, a prophet can never go back home type of thing, you know? So I, yeah. I think they, yeah, they really, uh, 
you know, they were very suspect of me, I think, at, at first. But, you know, through the years, uh, proving what, you know, what we're about and what we're doing, now, now uh, we're all friends. All the people who are really, you know, mad at me for trying to do a Halloween event in our cemetery, uh, we're really good friends now. Well, that's excellent. Um, I do want to bring yeah. this back to your film career because there's one film we haven't talked about yet. And it's the film that I got introduced to you uh, from. And it also has its own place in history. I know that there's some issue with this movie, but it is the last uh, black and white film shot on film, um, The Ghastly Love of Johnny Mm -hmm. X. And the reason why I know about it is it played at Blobfest in 2015. And so I was promoting, my friends run Blobfest. um, So I was promoting Blobfest on my brand new podcast, Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches here. And um, I had no idea about the movie. I was like, what is this movie on Sunday? Because they always do an indie film on Sunday. And um, Paul Linnell calls me up out of the blue and goes, "Um, you know, this is this movie. Can I be on your show and talk about it? And I'm like, yeah, you know, because I'm not going to turn down a guest, right? Uh, So so it's an odd duck when it comes to a movie. Because, first of all, it's got the pedigree of being the last black and white movie. But it also is a, 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 a 50s, 60s uh, tribute mu- movie musical uh, classic right. horror film. <laughs> and, you, and you star yeah. in this movie. Uh, I want to ask you, though, it's an odd question, though. Um, the, the gang, the ghastly ones, is that a direct shout-out yeah. to the video Nasty movie, or is that just a, qu- a coincidence? You know, I have no idea. I mean, I think probably every line, every character, every you know costume piece is a reference to something because that's that's kind of like Paul Bennell, but from from a certain era, those '50s sci-fi movies where the teenager teenagers are 30 years old and they're from outer space and stuff. So I'm sure there's references references throughout. Uh, he asked me to do it. I think this was like I forget what year it was. Uh, early mid no yeah like 2004 or 5 or something and he asked and I was producing uh you know Indian American co-productions at the time so I wasn't really acting I was I was just producing but he asked me to star in it and I was like look man I think you should cast all Indians because that's where the money is you know I tried to talk myself out of casting it of uh, of playing the lead but I thought it was goofy enough and I like the script and just like with, you know, my first movie, Tromeo, where I was like, will I ever get a chance to do Shakespeare on film again? This one was like, will I ever, you know, I had never sung on film, right? I'd never done a, a film musical and it was going to be, I knew it was going to be the very last black and white widescreen anamorphic uh, musical ever sh- feature ever shot on film because who the hell else would do that? <laughs> and, uh, and and so we did it, and Paul didn't tell any of us. We shot for like six days and probably got in the can, you know, after editing 15 minutes of the movie, and then it shuts down because he ran out of money. We didn't know, like I didn't know I was just the lead actor. I didn't get involved with any of the production or producing, so I didn't know anything. And that was very unfortunate. <clears throat> and then every year after that, he would call up every one of us in the cast and say, oh, I got the money. We're going we're gonna to finish the movie, finish the movie. We're like, great. And then it wouldn't happen. And then he would, the next year and the next year and the next year. And by the sixth year after we had shot, you know, for one week, he calls us all up and says the same thing. And, we're, and all of us, you know, I know I was like, yeah, 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 sure, sure. 
and all of a sudden the script shows up and all of a sudden the wardrobe people show up to, uh, you know, where I was living at the time in downtown LA. And I'm like, wait a minute, is this really happening? And, and oddly enough, no one, at least, you know, even people who know that, you know, we, there's a six year difference, uh, you know, from sometimes from one scene to the next, no one could tell because I guess we, we all looked, uh, you know, enough the same we did six years ago, <laughs> but that was, uh, you know, it was, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'm not happy with my performance in that movie. First of all, I, I think uh, the girl who played bliss, I think she is incredible. I wish I would have done it more, a little more uh, kind of balanced out, like kind of the, you know, the tongue in cheek because we know we're doing, you know, an homage to those movies, but you make it a little bit of funny or something. But at the time, I was like, wait, this is the first role where I don't have to act like a crazy person. Or, you know, I had to <laughs> act like, you know, just, just be cool, man. Just be cool. And I had never done that. So I, I think I'm, I don't like my performance in that movie. But Paul Bunnell, I've been on plenty of sets as an actor and, and as a producer. And as far as directors go, he was the most fun director I've ever worked with. And that was That's cool. True. And then, you know, it being historic because of... Uh, you know, the elements of the filmmaking, I was like, well, wait a minute. Now, in the, uh, I guess, the encyclopedia of world cinema history, I kind of I, I have this cool spot. It's like a bookend. The star of the very first fully digital feature film and star of the very last black and white widescreen musical feature ever shot on film. And a bunch of weird stuff in, betwe- in between. Uh, I'm going to throw this out to the sexy witches, and I'm going to start with Raven because I'm sure Raven has been chomping at the bit. She's the one that brought you on, uh, so thank you, Raven, and thank you for responding once again. Um, Please, Mm -hmm. the floor is yours, my dear. If you have any questions, go ahead, and then we'll bring it back to the other gentlemen that are waiting. Sure. Um, Well, first, I got to geek out for a sec and just say thank you so much for making my teenage years less terrible. I found Romeo and Juliet in high school when I was in a production of Romeo and Juliet as Juliet. And I was also the least popular person in my school. And the guy playing Romeo (laughs) was the quarterback. So it was really intimidating. And I was having a hard time with the language. It felt like everything was supposed to be a giant dick joke but nobody else seemed to see it that way and I felt like a lot of confirmation from Tromeo and Juliet like this is just a bunch of dick jokes strung together totally. and we can calm yeah. down about it a little bit um, and yeah. it really did help me loosen up I got kind of addicted to trauma and, um, and theater and uh, you know because of that I got hooked up with Toxic Avenger the musical and Lloyd Kaufman flew out and recorded our opening night uh, before it went to the Broadway workshop and so Troma has kind of given me a lot of opportunities randomly just by being yeah. a fan so um, yeah. yeah thank you it's just, like high school sucks and Troma helped <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean Troma Troma's definitely helped a lot of people get through their, their awkward high school years and you're totally right. Like, you know, most, most of the people who work on trauma movies, except for you know, uh, some of the actors, a lot of the actors had never, like me, had never heard of trauma. But all the people who yeah. work on them, are, a lot of them are fans. But I'll tell you, you work on a trauma yeah. movie, no matter what department you're in, if you're able to, you know, stick it through it, you're an expert at that. They give a lot of people, I mean, Lloyd, 
Lloyd and Troma have given lots of people their starts in uh, in their careers. Yeah. As, you know, I, I'm one of them, so we have him to thank for that. Yeah. But that's Absolutely awesome. And you're right. Awesome. Shakespeare is all about sex jokes. It's highbrow meets lowbrow. The writing is so good. Mm-hmm. The writing is so good. It's almost like, you know, those cartoons where, you know, the kids love it, but they don't understand it, and the, the adults love it too because they understand what's really going on or what's really being right. said. Like that's, you know, Shakespeare is, is all that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This has been um, great, guys. So I have one question about about uh, making Tromeo and Juliet and how – I, I hope I remember. Always thinking about how intimidating it had to have been doing like this freaking masturbating scene, and it's your first movie. Uh, I mean, you did stunt yeah. work too. What's scarier? Was it scarier to do stunts or a masturbation oh, scene? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I was already, <laughs> I was already a stunt man, and I in my own movies I used to get hit by cars, jump off buildings. I think I've been hit by a car like twenty five times. That that was the easy part. When I saw. The movie for the first time at the Cannes Film Market, the masturbation scene, I was disgusted with myself because <laughs> I, I didn't know what I looked like on film and I'm making all these crazy faces. But people love that scene. But I was kind of I was kind of a method actor at the time too, and I actually wanted to because I'm looking at I think they had a green you know green cardboard on on the monitor because they were gonna key in later what what I was supposed to be watching. Yeah. Uh, and so. And then I'm surrounded, and we're in this really small, hot room surrounded by like 25, 30 people. And it's like, all right, you know, come on, Will, get hard or something, you know. And I wanted to, I, I always wanted to feel, I remember James Dunn would take me aside every once in a while. And because he could tell I was upset with one of my takes. And he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I didn't feel it. He's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he's like, it just looks like you did. Don't worry about it. And, but I wanted to, I wanted to make that scene real. And I did. I had my hands down my pants. And I just couldn't get into it. And then Debbie Rashawn uh, comes over to me and, like, just touches me on the shoulder or something. And I think she said something like, I don't know, to her voice. And all of a sudden, I, I started to, I think I started, I get, started to get turned on. I'm like, come on, boys, let's go. Roll camera, roll camera. And, uh, and Debbie Rashawn has that, uh, has that um, way, like, like be, her being around her seems to, that seems to be a very common theme. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Yeah. I, well, I've had she's the honor of one of my favorite. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's one of my awesome. I, I got to I met her, her in my first yeah. movie. Uh, Debbie right Rashawn on. has worked a couple of horror conventions that I worked, so I yeah. got to meet her a couple of times. Uh, shout she's an amazing out to, person. She also taught yeah. me how to cry on camera. Oh, really? Nice. That's awesome. And she's absolutely yeah. gorgeous in Tromeo and Juliet. Like, like the camera oh, yeah. loves her in that movie. Uh, Tara oh. Firma, she's under all this makeup and wigs and stuff, but in that one, she's not. Uh, so yeah, for my money, she's one of the best things in Tara Firma too. She's hilarious in that. Yeah, she is pretty funny in that. Mm-hmm. So, um, any other questions, Raven, or should Super I throw smart it to girl, Raven? Talented actress, good person. Well, and you also got to work oh, with oh. one of our favorites, uh, Tiffany Shepes who also is a favorite oh, yeah. of Sexy Witches. So, uh, you know, uh, so we, 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 you know, you've gotten to work with a That's lot of cool right people. Uh, Nathan yeah, actually had very, a question about s- someone you worked with that he wanted to talk to you about. Oh, on, uh, yeah. when, you were, when you were filming Gaslight Love, Johnny X, were you ever on set with Kevin McCarthy? Yeah. No, I had my scenes with him. Yeah, was, okay. Um, well, the way it was shot was... scenes pictures. Well, yeah. I, Tell me what working with him is like, because I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah? 
Um, he was awesome. He, you know, he showed up on set. Everyone knew who he was, and uh, me and a few of the, especially the other actors, and there were plenty of people. I mean, pretty much everyone uh, on the cast and the crew on that movie were like film geeks, you know? So mm. it was, uh, I think it was like one or two days. Maybe it was just one day. And I think he, I think he had passed not long after it. After yeah, that was his last it. It appearance. Like, mm. His last appearance. It was like within a few months or definitely within that year. And so he, you know, I forget how old he was, but he was definitely slowing down, you know? So, um, Everyone just kind of catered to him. I actually remember just sitting at his feet, and I didn't want to, you know, bug him too much with questions and stuff, but because the other film nerds were doing that. But it was just cool to kind of <laughs> soak it in, and someone who'd been in the industry that long with, with you know, such credits. Uh, it was just, I think it was, I forget what number movie that was for me, but it was one of my favorite experiences of working with, because I've worked with celebrities before as an actor and as a producer, but yeah, he was. It was just like you knew you were in the presence of like history, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron, do you have any questions for our illustrious guest tonight? I do actually. Well, I got a couple, but I'm going to limit myself to one. Uh, first off, uh, excellent impersonation of Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, I've had the pleasure <laughs> yeah. of meeting him a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was wondering, here's another uh, one. Cause, real yeah. quick, here's another one. When, when something like something bad is always happening on a trauma set and Lloyd's like, oh, it's asshole time. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> asshole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, I, I was going to say he, he just hit some major milestones. Uh, in his film career, like uh, something like 50 or 60 years he's been doing this. And uh, like like you said, so many people come up under him. I was just wondering what you, I mean, other than don't yell at someone on the set and make them cry, um, what you took away from his style or, I, or his technique. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so comedy is one thing. He's one of the funniest people you'll meet. And he's like, He's a, he's a walking pun machine, you know, hmm. and I, I, uh, I was not, I mean, I remember someone telling me, you know, the year I, I uh, graduated NYU right before I got Tromeo, I remember someone telling me, because I, I considered myself like a serious actor. I was doing Shakespeare. I was doing all the serious kind of like performance art stuff, and I was dating a girl, and she said, don't ever go into comedy, Will. You know, it's not your thing. Uh, but <laughs> I think that was the start. Cause then I did, I've done lots of comedies, and people consider or people have said I'm I'm funny. Uh, but yeah. I think that was the start of it. You know, Lloyd kind of allowed you know or made me find it within myself, and just you know being being on set with someone like Lloyd and James, and uh, you know they're they're funny funny people. But he's also he's like, so he's kind of like master of the soundbite. He's the master at guerrilla marketing, like how how mm. you know. Get, get your movie known. I remember going to Cannes where every day at four o'clock, um, you know, all the trauma characters, all the PAs would be dressed in killer condom costume, Toxic Avenger, all the, all Sergeant Kabuki men. And then Tromeo and Juliet, we'd, we'd parade up and down the closet on Cannes and just scream, trauma, trauma. And people would <laughs> run out and hand out flyers. All the PAs would, uh, at like six in the morning, would go into the hotels, all the major hotels on the closet at Cannes. 
uh, turn into like offices of film companies trying to sell stuff and buyers and sellers. And, you know, you take thousands and thousands of flyers about, you know, when the trauma screens were and they'd slip them under every door in every hotel that has like 500 rooms, you know? So I wow. learned, you know, a lot about that from him and, uh, on set, although he's a madman, uh, and hmm. I'm not, you know, totally down with the style of intimidation and fear, uh, he, he's really big on safety and he mm-hmm. does, he has a six, he has a, because he's been doing it so long and he's seen everything go wrong, you know, on his own movies. And I guess movies that he worked on before trauma, uh, yeah. and you know, maybe there's, maybe there's an argument to be said that a lot of things went wrong because he's running around screaming at people all the time and they're just like shaking <laughs> and something, but, but, uh, but he could tell, I mean, he had a sixth sense. He could tell, like, you know, if you do it that way, then, then that, that, that fucking thing's going to happen. Some asshole's going to do this or that. And like, no, no, no. No, Lloyd, don't worry about it. We got it, Lloyd. Don't worry about it. And inevitably, he's always right. He's wow. always right. I don't know how many times I've seen other people and myself where, where uh, oh, he had this one rule, which I broke on Terra Firmer, and, and I, I live to regret it. Uh, he said, mm. no, relationships on, no relationships on set. You know, because it, it causes too much drama. So yeah. I, I was dating a girl at the time uh, who was a production. She was actually, this, uh, she did all the production for the windows at like, you know, Barney's and, and Polo Ralph Lauren. And when I got this movie, she wanted me to hire her as the production designer for her first movie. And I was like, no, you don't want to work on a trauma movie. Trust me, trust me. But she also, I think, I don't know. She also knew that I was the lead and it was a love interest thing and so forth and so on. So the poor girl. Anyway, so I, I, I hired her because she was the best, you know, and he, he knew she was the best. But then he came up to me when, and I, I think he was, and I'm not a liar. I, I try not to lie, only when I'm on camera and I'm schmacking. But mm. he said, Will, are you dating that production designer we just hired? <laughs> I was like, no, no, Lloyd, no, no. He's like, no relationships on set. I was like, no, 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 no it's all good, it's all good. And, uh, and then this poor girl, doing the sets in Terra Firma were amazing. Uh, she would have to watch me naked with, uh, you know, the leading lady, Elise Lasserell, who was naked and, and doing things. And that's, you know, that's definitely going to ruin a relationship. Let's just say that. Yeah. 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 So is there anywhere, um, we always save the ending for uh, plugging your stuff. So do you have anything you, uh, like anything you want to talk about or plug or any appearances that uh, um, I've heard rumor that you do Poe sometimes at St. Babs, um, you know, uh, so what, yeah. plug your plug I'll probably your be stuff. doing that again. Yeah, you know, I've started to kind of come out of, of uh, my performance shell uh, quite a bit the past, you know, two years. I was doing some stuff live. I was, uh, you know, it's also a performance space here. So I was doing, I call it one man Poe around Halloween time. And I just got hired to do something for, um, uh, like we get grants. We're kind of known as the arts church. We get grants from the national endowment for the arts, the New Jersey state council of the arts, live music society, 350 bands have played here. Um, so I started doing it, but then, but then we got pregnant and we had the baby and, and then I got into this big property deal. So there'll be a few things coming out. But I encourage everyone to check out St. Babs. That's S-T-B-A-D-S. Grand retreat on the Jersey Cape. I think we're on Hip Camp and Airbnb and 
Verbo, nice. and uh, it's just a, a beautiful place to, you know, to kind of take sabbatical where spirit and nature are dancing together. And I'm trying to think. I, I'm involved with a, a bunch of other stuff outside the church, uh, but it's mainly doing things with other people. I check out The Last Sermon, Jack Baxter's movie that I am um, an executive producer of. I think that can be found pretty much anywhere online at this point, The Last Sermon. And it's a documentary about the refugee crisis. It's a heavy-duty doc, but it's really well-made and really interesting. And the filmmakers, it's, it's kind of following them through, uh, through the Middle East and Eastern Bloc countries when all this is going on. Uh, very powerful. And I guess I have a few, I have one or two movies left in me uh, that, you know, I'm not going to talk about right now uh, that look like they're going to probably happen in the next year or two. And well, let us I might, know about I might those. Just accept one of these. I might just accept one of these offers too, because now, now I got a baby to support. So I'm taking jobs yeah. again. I'm taking jobs, people. <laughs> Hire Will. Hire Will Keenan. And uh, real quick, Will, before I let you go for the night, what's your favorite restaurant in Cape May? Oh, um, I like Cape the Courthouse. Me- yeah. You know, I was there, believe it or not, for the first time uh, with the the seller's real estate agent for this for the estate, uh, oh, nice. and it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, I like Nuno's, the Italian place in in Cape May Courthouse, and then uh, Morosaki, uh, which is kind of like fusion, and then uh, <laughs> Dos Amigos, best uh, Mexican food on the Jersey Cape. Dos Amigos. Well, next time I'm in Cape May, we're gonna eat at one of those restaurants together. Right on. All right. So, it's a date on, yeah, on me, is. or actually on St. Babs. <laughs> Excellent. So thank you, sir, for coming on the show. We are out of time, so we got to go for the night. Uh, okay. So once cool. again, thank, thank you, guys. You, you guys are again. a lot of fun. Oh, thank great you. time. Thank you so Blast. much. Absolutely. Thank you. you. Sexy bitches. I mean witches. <laughs> uh, we get to. that a lot. Yes, we do. So... <laughs> Guilty um, so as charged. Good night. So. <laughs> good night. Good night. Yeah, so, night. Will, Will Keenan, uh, thank you again for being on the show. And thank you again for Sexy Witches. Um, we are going to take a small Sexy Witch holiday break um, and take some time off of the radio for a couple of weeks. Uh, we should be back on the 13th of July. So, that's about three weeks from now. And. Uh, Raven, where can they find you on the interwebs? Oh, you can find me on TikTok at Frida Krueger. I am on Twitter <laughs> at Raven Looney. Come check me out. And what about you, Aaron? Uh, let's see. You can find me on Facebook as Winslow Leach. There's three Winslow Leeches. I am the one currently that looks like Patrick Bateman holding uh, Hounds of Love, so that, that's how you know it's me. Uh, on the Twitter, tweet, 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 you can find me uh, as Captain Antifa, nah, just Antifa, at Aaron Sama 1313. And Nathan, what about you, sir? No, no, I've pretty much been ignoring my social media lately, so go check out Total Psychopathic Wrestling on, uh, and come see our show on July 9th. And, yeah, you'll probably see everything I'm doing there or just find me on there. 
Um, and you will Sweet. at some point have a season two of Sell Your Soul at some point, in the near, hopefully in the near future. It is in the works. It is the second season is about halfway edited. I just have to have the find the find the time to sit down and do it. So yeah, okay. And um, if you want to find the head Huntress, you can find me. Actually, use my personal profile. It's the best way to find me, Elizabeth Catherine Gray on Facebook. I also manage three groups. Uh, in that, and of course, the Archivist Witch that's on Sexy Witches Facebook page. But there's also the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness which is my annual Halloween uh, group where we do our fiercest film competition on social media. Uh, the FB Film Geek Circle, where we general, talk about general movies overall, and the small but important, especially right now, Rogues of Tashi Station, where we talk about everything mm-hmm. from science to science fiction. And, of course, with all the Star Wars shit going down, and Star Trek, for that matter, we've been super busy. Right. So, Please find us. Thank you for listening. We're going to leave tonight with Eyeball Skeleton and Spooky Mummy Case. Can't get so stuck thank in your you head. All. Have a good evening and good film hunting and blessed be. Spooky Mummy Case and 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 Spooky Eyeballs were moving through holes in the wall Ancient writing on the wall in the hall It was really spooky and kind of spooky We heard a voice say Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.